Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at ADHD. Grace Timothy is a writer who has done stints with the likes of Vogue and Glamour and contributed to American Vogue, Sunday Times, Red, Stylist, Grazia, Marie Claire and Scylla, to name but a few. And her brilliant book, Lost in Motherhood, was published in 2018. That's blowing my mind a bit, actually. Where's those years gone? Um, which comedian Catherine Ryan said was hilarious and painfully honest, which it really was. That It was one of the most kind of on-the-money accounts of parenting that I've ever read. It's absolutely brilliant. But that's not why we've got her here today. She's also about to launch her own podcast, and it's called Is It My ADHD? After a Surprise Diagnosis in 2021. Hello, Grace. Hello, Clemmy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Actually, I'm a bit, I mean, a bit spun out. It's like half term. There's this weird storm. I don't really know what's going on. It's, oh, I forgot. So you guys are on half term. We're supposed to start half term this weekend. Oh. And yeah, we got the text this morning to say, no, don't come in. Please don't come in. So that's that. Oh, so half term's arrived early for you. Yeah, it's a nice little surprise. The Simpsons is going to be on for about 24 hours, I think. And then we'll see what happens after that. (laughs) The one day when you thought you might just tie some stuff up before half term has now gone. Absolutely. So there's no food. There's no tying of things. It's, yeah, it's just crack on and see what happens. I think, to be honest, though, when after the last couple of years, anything's better than having them at home indefinitely. So (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It is just a moment, isn't it? But I do think, like, she definitely has PTSD when it comes to Google Classroom. (laughs) So the minute I was like, here we go, she was like, nah, nah. No can do. No can do. (laughs) Oh, it makes us all shudder, doesn't it? I can't believe we lived through all that. So I always start with three not that important but quite fun questions how are you really what's your star sign and what's your favorite crisp oh I love that okay so how am I really I really am okay I really am okay because I've learned to like half pandemic and half diagnosis to literally take one day at a time and to sometimes take that day one hour at a time and it's just leveled me out not being quite so hectic and manic and thinking that everything has to be perfect and I have to make up for what I have always felt were my shortcomings all the time has just changed the game so I am I am feeling good um and my favorite crisps oh it's no nope I can't do it it's too hard because crisps are my love <laughs> do you know yeah the the one of the ones that I'm a bit obsessed with is the co-op salt and it's like chardonnay vinegar yeah I knew you were gonna say them I knew yeah, holy smokes they're a premium crisp. The problem is you cut. They're, they're in the big bags too. You can't really have those because if you open them, that's like it's like you end up detouring, don't you? Back to the crisps, or I do. It's true. And um, my husband has a really I don't know if it's unattractive or attractive trait of adding a bag of Cadbury's um, caramel buttons to the bag of crisps. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, it's a taste sensation, Chloe. Well, I just need to unpick this a bit more. So you eat the crisps, then you eat the chocolate, or you just go for a bit of both along the way? I mean, I don't like to put both in my mouth at the same time. It's a sensory overload. But yeah, he does like to mix them. We are disgusting. But it's a beautiful moment. But I, I love the way that you said that as if it was one of those things that people just do you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a jamie oliver tr- you're right it's like it's in a book somewhere i'm sure no he, no he's disgusting i mean he comes from the land of like deep frying mars bars and stuff so okay yeah so yeah. the bar's quite low wow mm-hmm. well i can't decide whether i want to try that or i really don't but it's definitely gonna i'm gonna end up trying it because is it just with those or do you do it with more we more? haven't experimented clemmy i'm gonna be honest you so know that's, we're quite that's basic 
well, if you find something you like, why why change it up? Especially when it's already quite out there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Wow. Um, and what star sign are you? Leo. Leo. And I don't really I know what, what that means at all, other than that I, I think most of the time it's quite unattractive things I read, so I try to ignore it. No, I wouldn't say that. I, I mean, it means you're quite a big presence and... Yeah, quite a, a force, and probably the thing that you most hate is anything that that like damages your sense of pride. It, it, being made a fool of wouldn't be very easy for you. Is a very that's, well, except I've made like a business out of like oversharing. Maybe that's ADHD overruling the star sign qualities, maybe. But yeah, or, I don't mind at all. No, but that's you in control of it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If someone undoes me, then maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be like a, the ultimate coping strategy. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say everything and embarrass, not embarrass, but you know what I mean, overshare yeah, yeah. it so that yeah. you can't come at me. Anyway, I did a exactly. whole um, episode on astrology, and I, I, I'm into it, but it was quite extreme. So I'm not gonna like <laughs> do another one on this because I think I might be losing people based on my astrology <laughs> love. So talk to me about your what is i think a surprise um adhd diagnosis how how can it be a surprise and how did it come about well i think talking now as i do to lots of women and non-binary people who have adhd it tends to be something that you've hunted down for a long time whereas i went for a routine hearing appointment with an audiologist and he happened to have adhd so while I was sat there kind of tapping my feet and wiggling around and being a bit impatient about waiting and talking in every silence that, that kind of arose, he was like, have you ever been assessed for anything like on the neurodivergent spectrum? And I was like, no, like, what are you talking about? I'm, like, no one's even mentioned that this might be a possibility. Now I'm thinking probably behind my back they did. Um, and because I thought I was very self-aware and also quite tuned into sort of every possibility in terms of mental health concerns I you know I was very aware that I had anxiety I've had pockets of depression you know um disordered eating as a teenager OCD Mm. as a child like lots and lots going on but I knew about all of them do you know what I mean I wasn't Mm. closed off um and also you know physically I go I go to the doctor quite regularly (laughs) shall we say um and over the last couple of years thank god had CBT and sort of tackled that side of things but what it meant was you know I'm very aware of from like how my digestive system is sensitive to some things to, you know, that my hearing's not great. So I've been really on it with my mm. physical and mental health. So I was really surprised um, and actually completely dismissed it and then went home and obviously being a journalist, like did a deep dive into what ADHD really is and was like, holy Whoa. crap. Yeah, that is like, I could I could literally pick out every year of my life and be like, it was steering me in some way. Mm. Um from like really nice things that I think like I've, I'm very ambitious and I don't I've, I have like a certain amount of fearlessness um, and those kind of things have been really helpful to the really unhelpful stuff and things like anxiety and depression are massively tied in with ADHD so they're sort of they're considered comorbidities and you very rarely have you know ADHD without one of those. Oh, is that true? Yeah. So, it, you know, I'm not that everybody with ADHD no. has those things, but they're incredibly common, um, particularly with women. Um, and obviously late diagnosis as well means that you've you've gone through your life trying to compensate often or trying to mask. Um, mm. And obviously there's going to be a fallout to that. So, yeah, it was a big surprise. But once he, he, this audiologist then sent my GP lots of information, he was so kind because actually it wasn't his bag at all. He didn't need to do anything, but... He obviously saw the struggle was real and um, she knew nothing about ADHD as well and was like, this is a bit of a curveball, but I'm really happy to investigate it for you. 
Um, and then, you know, I found out that the wait for an assessment would be between four and seven years. Mm. So I saved up and uh, found a brilliant psychiatrist, had an assessment. And he was like, before we'd even begun, he was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is quite <laughs> obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was that. And I mean, I sort of, I've gone through so many phases of being like, I'm not, I'm not going to engage and connect with it too much because I just want to be who I am and carry mm. on and not be directed by it. And then just being like, this is, this just explains everything. And it makes me feel mm. so much better understanding mm. myself. So yeah, it's been a ride and a half. I'm sitting here nodding because I don't know if I said on email, but my husband's just been diagnosed with um, mm. ADHD. And that came about from me putting a post up on mother of all lists and like for, from from somebody about ADHD diagnosis and I'm like formatting it reading it I'm like all right I mean this is Ben and exactly the same by the time Ooh. he went to the psychiatrist you, it's 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 just like oh yeah this is so obvious and but it's a it's a weird thing to wrangle because it, it as you say at first you go you go okay that's just that and then you go back through so much through your education through your, your relationships through you know your daily habits and and mm. it's not to to kind of I don't want to use the word excuse it doesn't change anything but it just gives you a lens to understand yourself through yeah completely it? yeah yeah and I think there's a little bit of that thing of like picking out what's my personality and what's the symptom yes and actually I think I've got to a point where I'm like eh, you know I am who I am it doesn't really matter yeah. why that's happening but it does mean that if there's stuff that's challenging and difficult I can at least understand and work out a way to cope better and I think the problem is that we have a, a vision, you know, I'm thinking back to growing up, I'm dyslexic and that I got diagnosed in, in and ADHD and dyslexia often come hand in hand, don't they? But um, mm. I got diagnosed, you know, toward, by the time I was about 18, because that's when that was beginning to bubble up. But I had very little understanding of ADHD at at school and then later on if I understood it you have a very particular view of a very disruptive child which again feels like awful language but that you you just didn't I didn't know about it in adults and mm. yeah you only had a very specific version of it well I think as an adult when I tell people as well there's still that misconception and I, a lot of people were like oh no sure really because like you've got your shiz together and actually like that's I know that they mean that as a compliment but it's mm. like oh you don't know what is going on underneath and actually I don't have my stuff together at all um but also it is it's about the research and the clinical picture is 100% based on um white cisgender male case studies um mm. and often quite young so yeah under sort of under 16 um and so of course that stereotype exists and unfortunately it exists amongst the health community and the educational mm. settings as well. So it's it's there's so much to overcome to even for it to be a consideration. Um, and I I mean I learnt more in sort of a couple of weeks of investigating it um, than I think my GP had learnt mm. because and not through no fault of her own. She's an amazing person, but like it's just not on any curriculum. Even as a psychiatrist, you don't have to know about ADHD. It's like almost like a sort of you can dip in and out of that. Um, there's no accreditation for it as a specialism. So there's a complete lack of specialists wow. across the country. And obviously with COVID and all the other disruptions to you know NHS funding and everything, that's just sort of got worse and worse rather than starting to improve. So it's kind of up to a lot of us to hopefully spread the word about what it can look like um, mm. so that women and non-binary people can self-advocate and, and have like the right words. 
And I think I'm wondering as you're talking whether that's because it, it, I don't know if there's such a thing as high functioning ADHD, but actually, I always say in relation to Ben, he his energy levels and his com, com, um, ability to keep going because of it a kind of what everybody wants these days you know that that always on go 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 works very well in kind of modern society and then if you're I've read something where you said you know you're not super disorganized which is often a trait but actually you've probably just worked extremely hard to put systems in place to do that and then of course that shows up in anxiety because Mm -hmm. in order not to lose your keys I'm projecting here but you know you having to you're having to go 10 to the dozen. And then I'm wondering often whether it goes the other way where um, people begin to self-medicate, whether, you know, a lot of the people who are drinking or, or smoking are doing so to compensate for their neurodiverse brains, but it all gets hidden because uh, of my understanding of a lot of ADHD people do really well because they're the party animals in your in your 20s and 30s, really, really fun. Mm. And then when everyone <laughs> begins not to want to party so much, you're still chomping at the bit and it's mm-hmm. like, well, that you know, these are massive sweeping generalizations, but you know what I mean? It's, you, it can be really well masked for big chunks of your life. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I think the thing is that, so first of all, like talking about functioning and low functioning and all that kind of thing is, is really, really tricky because that can set someone back in terms of, you know, if, I mean, so for example, in my diagnosis, he said, you've got um, a high impairment, a severe impairment, sorry, across all of these. And I was like, that makes me feel, but I'm coping. Like I, you know, I pay my mortgage. I Mm. I have a functioning relationship. Thank goodness. Mainly, mainly due to his patience. You know, I'm a parent. I've got a job. I haven't been fired. All those things. Um, And he was like, it's not about that. And it's not about how you're, and I put quote marks, like functioning. Mm. It's about how you've managed those things and how we can help you better manage them. Um, So, I mean, yeah, I definitely had some behaviors that I wish I'd maybe not had at certain times. And then on the other hand, I also had an amazing time as a teenager in particular. I like I was out every single night and mm. luckily, and I think this is a lot to do with my whiteness, you know, my the privilege that I was born into, all of those things, I didn't get into huge amounts of trouble. Mm-hmm. And every time I veered towards, you know, that maybe being something a bit more red flaggy, mm-hmm. I was I was kept back and I was supported through that. Mm. So I think I'm really lucky. But when I look at the stats, you know, you're eighteen times more likely to be convicted of a crime if you've got ADHD wow. and you're a woman. Um, and bearing in mind also with a lot of these stats, non-binary doesn't always figure in the research because they mm. just haven't got there yet. So, I mean, I feel like it's enough at the moment that we have even women being studied. Like that's yeah. that's already deficient in so many ways. It's such a shame. Um, so hopefully moving forward, there'll be more um, kind of diverse research as well. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're far more likely to divorce, to um, present with teenage pregnancy, to wow. be the subject of domestic violence and um violence from a sexual partner sexual exploitation like there are so many problem areas um and if your adhd is severe then your life expectancy can be reduced by 12.7 years so i mean it's huge because of accidents suicide you know it's there are so Mm. many foibles so while it feels like oh do you know what it's fueled me to be badass across many Mm. sort of areas of my life however I am so, so fortunate. And I think when it, when we talk about, again, quote marks functioning, because a lot of people really don't like to use that language. Um, it's for me, and looking at other people I know who have ADHD, it's massively the support system that mm. I was lucky enough to be born into and, and my whiteness, like I said, and all the other kind of intersections of privilege that I've been born into um, that's kept me where I am. Um, and I'm very aware 
my husband's role in this. We've been together since I was like 20, 19, 20. Um, and I think he has been like almost like a care worker for me in so many phases where mm. ADHD was getting really bad and mm. my behaviours were erratic and all that kind of thing. Mm. So yeah, I think I've just been really lucky and there are so many people who aren't as lucky. Mm. Yeah, I'm nodding because it's difficult. I'm obviously on the other other shoe on, you know, the other yeah. side of that experience. And it is that there, and I don't think Ben would mind me saying, there are times when it feels like a very parent-child relationship, which is mm. difficult. And again, but at least now with the diagnosis, I have a better understanding of that because it's very hard to go, why, why can't you do, you know, have better time management, better, you know, executive functioning skills? Because if, if those aren't challenging to you they feel relatively obvious and you know he could never put words to it mm. and and yeah it's, it's very difficult but it again it's very because it's one of those conditions perhaps that is thrown around without people understanding what it is it's difficult as we say to, it does can really really have huge huge impacts can't it yeah and I think the thing is as well there's there's a stigma attached to it, which is attached to that child who's very disruptive and kind of throwing chairs at the teacher and stuff. And actually the majority, well, I don't know very much about male ADHD actually, but the majority of women seek to internalize those feelings, those impulses and things. So actually we fight against the impulse to be that child. I definitely had something in me that was like, oh, I want to run around and I want to leave the classroom and I want to do this. But I didn't do it because I knew to be a girl and to be liked and accepted, you have to make yourself small. Yeah, you have to be quiet. You have to be still. So actually, I mean, ADHD is is a massive uh, issue with female gender conformity as well and the kind of societal expectations placed on us it just it bucks against all of those Mm. so that's you know that's a real problem so not only are you battling the kind of neurotypical standards but you're also battling the standards of being an acceptable attractive likable woman yeah Um, which yeah again it's easier for a boy to to wriggle around in that space quite literally isn't it but yeah that's that's an exhaust so no wonder it has impact on your mental health because yeah you're working so hard to try and yeah just just to conform which is yeah yeah is wild um, isn't it so are you seeing when you, it, through your podcast just but you're speaking did you say that women are non-binary yeah yeah and are you seeing commonalities in people's journeys yeah I mean first of all I'm seeing such a diversity between everybody like it's it's crazy how different it presents in in each person but there is this constant throughout all the people I've spoken to, whether they were diagnosed um, early on or late, most of them were late, um, that they have masked and that their true self hasn't come out until they've had a diagnosis and have been able to process and work through that diagnosis. Um, you know, medication quite often has been mm. the thing that's that's made them realise what life could be like. Um, but I think that's the main thing is this, this sense of um, just being other, and not understanding why, and particularly mm. like me, I'm I'm white, cishet, you know, uh, so I suppose middle classy, and I just knew that I was different, but I couldn't, mm. like you say, I couldn't put a word Have to it. That's exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's what it's about is about empowering people to have that language and advocate for themselves mm. and be very aware that women also aren't listened to in the same way. We know mm. this from so much research that in healthcare settings you know, you have to fight that a little bit harder and you have to be so articulate about what it is that's going on. Mm. Um, And that's a trait of ADHD is that you struggle with that. So yeah, it's difficult. And I think, I think that the issues around the healthcare 
provisions as well has been so prevalent throughout the podcast series like mm. everybody has struggled whether they've had the you know finances to go private or not mm. the costs are prohibitive they're so expensive um so like I got diagnosed but I then couldn't continue with treatment because it was crazy expensive um mm. so I'm really I'm in this one sense no better off because I haven't been able to access any of the kind of support but on the other hand you know I can I'm doing my own thing that I've been doing for 30 38 years now yeah and it's you've, you've it's worked you know you're, you're ish, holding yeah. it together yeah ish within <laughs> yeah I mean it is the yeah the process is mad isn't it and you know there's no shade on anything on the NHS because we no, know no, no. but it's impossible to access if you didn't ha- couldn't do it privately seven years I mean seven years is an insane amount of life Imagine. isn't it yeah um but also I think the irony of it and again I compare it to it being dyslexic where I would struggle with some of the forms and stuff, the actual process of having to piece together a diagnosis and then sort out the medication is actually quite challenging for an ADHD mind, I think, mm. and or, or could be. And this is the irony, isn't it? When you most need help, yeah, it feels like an unfathomable process, a bit, bit like in mental health crisis, to be honest. Mm, yeah. I think that it's, yeah, it's, it's you know, in, I've, when I've had depression, it's very difficult to have the energy even to go, right, I need to go and I need to chase Help. my GP. I need to do this. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or just ask even like your mum or, you know, your partner or whatever. So, yeah, there's definitely that. Basically, ADHD is about a lack of regulation mm-hmm. and a lack of filter. So it's not that you're not aware of everything that's going on or that that person's looking at you going like, what is she on? It's that you just can't do anything about it and you can't really? find a way to, yeah, to regulate and to, I mean, I hate to use the word normal, but to normalise. It's just, that's just, it's very, very, very difficult, very difficult. And I think medication is, is so key to that. I've, I've seen so many of my friends just like blossom. Really? Yeah, it makes an incredible impact. And I think, I mean, I was talking to my psychiatrist. As soon as he said, right, I'm going to prescribe this, I was like, no, God, no, I'm not going to touch meds because you're going to take away my creativity sure. and any energy that I have and stuff. And he was like, no, that's not what it is. It's about like focusing that energy where it needs to be focused um, and, and right, leveling things out. Am I right in saying that with um, the ADHD medication, you can, it's not like it needs to build up in your system. You, I've, I understood that you could take it Monday to Friday for argument's yeah. sake and then not take it the weekend. It's a bit like putting your contact lenses in or not. You yeah. know, it's like, which is a very different way of thinking about um, a medication now if you were on holiday and you want to be full throttle you then you have the option not to completely I mean there's there's lots of nuances obviously it depends on like the dosage and stuff as to if you can just drop it automatically yeah. or whether you'll get just because I think you get a bit of a hit on your metabolism stuff of just like oh god I'm knackered suddenly having yeah you know been fine all week but yeah you can you can come on and off as and when you you want to um and I think some people get to the point where they're using it literally for like I'm going into the office for a day mm. I know I'm going to need that focus but I but I'll be fine tomorrow mm. um and I, I think that's a, I mean what a godsend that's amazing yeah um but it is it's just super super difficult to get on the NHS because the they tend to be controlled substances so they can only be prescribed by a psychiatrist. And obviously to do that, you have to be under a psychiatrist's care, which means mm. going on another caseload, which is just, it's just like barrier, barrier, barrier. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it's super expensive if you do it privately. So yeah, yeah. it's it's difficult. So I've, I've got to learn to do stuff that isn't meds for now. Um, and then uh, maybe, you know, one day things will change. Um, what would that, what kind of thing do you find <laughs> helps you? Oh. you know the crisps with the chocolate no yeah um, that seems like a very good <laughs> good place to start <laughs> yeah I mean it's not like it's riddled with sugar and yeah. <laughs> yes terrible terrible idea um I I think 
I want to say mindfulness, but not in the sense of mindfulness as a practice, but more I'm mindful of the alcohol that I drink, the caffeine that I take, the mm-hmm. I'm mindful of my week. So if I'm really, really, really lucky to be able to work in an office setting part time. So I know that maybe after a day in the office, I need to then work from home and just like have some alone time. I'm very aware now of how I parent and the energy that I need to do that. And sometimes I need to step away for a minute and, you know, that's okay. Um, So, yeah, I'd say it's being more mindful about how I live and Mm. what I take in. Um, Yeah. Do you find that your um, cycle, like your hormones have an impact on how how you are? Yeah, but it's I don't I haven't quite worked out yet how I need to keep a diary basically and that's again one of my worst like I just can't commit to things like that at all like planners and journals and stuff I find difficult um but yes it absolutely does and actually talking to women through the podcast things like perimenopause and pregnancy Mm. I mean when I look through when my ADHD has been it's it's worst it's been when I've had that initial hormone surge as an eight to ten year old it's been going on the pill it's been pregnancy, you know, mm. it's definitely tied in 100%. And I think, yeah. again, the research is is growing in that area, but it's still, you know, it's like our brains are probably only second in importance to our vaginas in terms of health research, yeah. you know, who, who kind of cares. My friend always says that PMT stands for permanent megatruth. And I always <laughs> wonder whether actually when those bits when we're like, oh, hormonal, it's when we can no longer keep, and, and peripent, and to be honest, all those points, when you can't kind of keep up the facade anymore, it's just like, oh, fuck it, this actually, I am actually really cross with you, or I am feeling this, and I am overwhelmed, and I can't play the nice girl card anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I do wonder whether that actually is what happened. It's just like, you, yeah, you can no longer hide behind everything you've been trying so hard to front. I need to write that down. That's such an insight, Clemmy, because, like, that's 100%, like the you get different challenges to your masking and I think like if you're drunk for example like obviously mm. the ability to mask like kind of drops away a bit um which means you're super fun most of the yeah. time or you're a complete nightmare um but yeah 100% PMT is just is real and I think but again it's about picking out how much of this is like the hormones making me feel really sad like my emotional uh, regulation is is not great it's better now I'm older actually but mm-hmm. I I'm very quick to cry uh, you know, not necessarily. I read that as a. Me, but... I read that that can be a key symptom of ADHD in women, like quick to cry. That's... Yeah, but then also like being a woman in the twenty first century and having your period and having all the challenges that we, you mm. know, is it any wonder that we want to cry a lot of the time? It's no. difficult to know. Um, but yeah, emotional lability is is one of the things that they're trying. Experts are trying to introduce to the criteria for diagnosis because actually that's one of the most damaging to a woman's life is that emotional ability because obviously that affects relationships even like your kind of um behavior in the workplace parenting you know that's the stuff that's difficult to live with yeah and but then it's also as you say like about oh you don't want to cry but actually the crying is also really useful for your body mm-hmm. to, to 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 regulate itself and it's only if we we feel fearful of a a woman crying that, that she's losing it or that she's mad no she so often I just yesterday actually I just had a bit of a cry in the middle of the afternoon nothing more to it no one needed to help me or nothing was particularly wrong I was a bit hormonal a bit knackered had a cry and felt so much better so it's mm. it, it's like the things that we've layered onto that 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 is a terrible faux pas for a girl to be or anyone to be bursting into tears but mm. crying is just another expression of emotion isn't it Oh, completely. And I think that's the thing with ADHD is that you don't have the filter necessarily to know 
when those behaviors are appropriate and i'm a bit like but who said that those behaviors weren't appropriate that's like again it's like society it's the patriarchy it's capitalism it's all those things have fed Mm. into this ideal and actually you know when you look at the people who are talking about dismantling those things it's quite often a neurodiverse person um neurodivergent person so there is that sense of like actually maybe we can be making a really meaningful contribution with that lack of filter and that sort of fearlessness and and just lack of ability sometimes to mask I think that's really important yeah Um, but also it just I mean it's and I'm really ashamed to say it but I didn't know quite how debilitating the just society can be until I realized it was one of the things that was impacting my mental health and as a person with ADHD Mm. Um, and I wish I'd known sooner and been more of an advocate and more of an ally but like it's it's just crazy when you look at the the way that society is formed Mm to to completely make those things that actually are really great about us um into kind of flaws yeah and also we're not talking about niche the tiny niches of society with these are these are you know when you begin to go yeah might you have autism or dyslexia or adhd or any of these things you're like oh i wriggle through my friendship group or the people that i you know spend my time with it's like yeah probably yeah, and you're you're all achieving wonderful things, but mainly actually now as we I head towards my you know late thirties, forties because they've managed to shape their lives to mm. perhaps hopefully to that neurodiversity. But if you hadn't, it could be a really really tough tough existence, couldn't it? Well, and I think it's really important to acknowledge as well that when we like see people in magazines that have ADHD and on telly and in podcasts and all that kind of thing that you know it is the people who have like channeled it somehow and have Mm. achieved things that are sort of noteworthy or whatever or you know people think are noteworthy but actually there are you know I think something like 26% of women in prison have ADHD Mm. you don't hear those stories so often um you know there's it's just it is um it is a problem for sure I don't like to say disorder or deficiency or any of those things because actually yeah yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge um and I think that the challenge isn't down to the neurodevelopmental issue it's down to the structure around that person unfortunately Mm. I mean like Silicon Valley is making amazing use of people with autism and ADHD because actually yeah I mean it's there are superpowers that again is such a cliche term and it's so difficult but... but there are there are powers yeah, there's a, they, we have to remember the real positives. Again, it's not not exactly the same, but if you gave me the choice to get rid of being dyslexic tomorrow, I wouldn't take it. I, you know, it's a gift for the, the yeah. good parts of it. Um, and I'm sure, yeah, with ADHD and autism, that is exactly the same, if if you can find your place in the world. Yeah. I think that when, when we were talking about doing the podcast, I, I was looking at podcasts, basically, and there were lots of kind of um, entrepreneurs talking about how ADHD can be so helpful. And there was lots of um, things about parenting children with ADHD. Mm-hmm. But I was like, what about just I'm just a woman like I want to sit still and not bitch at people when I'm waiting for the bus. I want to mm-hmm. like be able to support my child in her difficult emotional moments without mm-hmm. having a challenge myself. Like, I just want to be like a better friend and a better wife and a better mother and all those things. And actually that stuff's not out there. Mm. And even if that's just hearing that someone else has the same challenges as you and you're not an arsehole, that's enough sometimes to make you be like, okay, right, Mm. here we go. That's it, isn't it? Just to, yeah, that it's not a comment on you as a person. Mm. You have to to navigate things in this way. Have you found, do you think you have found aspects of parenting particularly challenging as a result? Yeah, I think because I have a really 
fixed idea of how I want to be a parent mm. and I read all the books and all that kind of stuff and it was really interesting actually because uh like there were lots of comments when I first had my daughter about how much I was reading into it and it's because and like kind of that scoffing of like oh you wait you won't you know the books won't help you when you're in the sort of trenches of it and it was the only way that I knew my brain knew how to prepare and feel like mm. I had some control was to research and and try and understand things um and actually what happens is I'm not able to necessarily draw on those wisdoms in the moment because there are lots of kind of behaviors that I find really triggering and now I'm able to acknowledge that hopefully Mm. it's not too late and I'm able to kind of wrestle back that compassion that I want to constantly have but sometimes I have had to just be like darling I need to I need to walk away for a minute because the if it's a tantrum for example I I I, it's not that I'll ever get really really angry and there's there's not like anything explosive and I don't tantrum myself but it's just I Mm. I'll, I'll like cry or, yeah, your brain fries basically. Yeah, and I just I can't use like the good tactics that I know that I should use or strategies. For some reason, they just don't come to me. I'm just stood there like crying or, you know, whatever. And I don't want that for her. I want her to, you know, I want her to have the best. Of course, I do. And yeah, I, I definitely I've I've just found that my patience is what's the word? I suppose erratic a little bit. Sometimes it's mm. not regulated. Mm. Um, so sometimes I can be really chill and be really proud of the way I've parented. And then mm. there are the odd occasion where I think, oh, I wish I had just remembered those amazing words that you're supposed to do in terms of like gentle parenting and all of that stuff. Uh, Rather but... than just being like, ah, I can't take this. I have to leave the room. I can't take any more whining or screaming or whatever it is, you know? But I mean, also that is just parenting, isn't it? We all 100%. hope that we could be, be, the, be the parent we had in our heads, but it's so much harder than that. It's so much harder than that. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm. It's this is me trying to like tell myself it's okay. It's been a mad couple of years, mm. um, hasn't it? You know, even I've just been realizing we've just actually spent too much time with the, these yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not that I don't want to spend all the time in the world with them, but you've got no let up, and and in order to regulate yourself through your hormones and as a person you need to and they need to actually it works two ways I really really definitely think my kids want to be away from me somewhere and you just basically have got to the point you wind each other up the wrong way yeah I mean I can I think also my my daughter is an only child as well and I was an only child really I had um, step siblings but we didn't all live together and I noticed a lot with her you know she's stuck in this kind of love triangle with my husband and I and actually sometimes she needs someone to be like oh they could be real arseholes sometimes don't worry about it like do you know what I mean and she needs to she doesn't have a sibling to do that so she needs Mm. to be with her friends and like you say to learn to regulate outside of us constantly being like um I don't know, like a safe space for her to tantrum or whatever. She needs to actually have other people to tell her, like, no, not having that that kind of thing. And also, I think what you're modelling, and again, this is me trying to tell myself I'm okay, that if I have lost it and not behaved in the way that, not parented in the way that I like, which is frequent, being able to come back into the room and acknowledge that, Mm. and I think is also, you know, it doesn't make it okay, but they are really great lessons to say, you know, I'm, mummy is complicated and emotional and Mm. trying my best and and like knowing when to yeah acknowledge that in yourself I think hopefully teaches them well oh yeah I I really hope so yeah there's a lot of there are you know we've always made sure that we apologize and Mm. talk about something and be like this is where we messed up and I think also we've talked about ADHD a lot um and I'm sure there are some people who would say like maybe you know she knows too much in terms of like maybe she doesn't need to know it at all but I like the idea that she understands 
the difference in brains and mm. the difference in approaches. Like my husband and I are so different. He, you know, doesn't <laughs> display any kind of sign of any neurodivergence at all. Incredibly relaxed and very, very laid back, and it's all chill. Oh, lucky! I mean, you. thank goodness. I now I know. I hate him a little bit. Um, and I think I think it's important for her to understand that, and also because she's. I mean, I don't know if she'll display any ADHD at some point because it is supposed to be genetic through the mother's side. But um, yeah, although yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, there's still a lot of research to be done on that as well. But yeah, there is a link. Um, but in terms of her cohort at school and when she goes to secondary school, like, yeah. I want her to be not even tolerant, but like supportive and loving towards those people and understand that there's difference. And I think rather than when we were kids where it was like, oh, that kid's a real pain in the ass, mm. really difficult, like going to get excluded kind of thing like that. You know, I'd love for her to, to have that kind of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely. Yeah. You can only hope yeah that they will you, you just don't know no, <laughs> Let's hope know all... but again around the crying thing it's something I'm sure you know as I say I'm emotional my kids see me cry quite a lot and I mm. really want them to know that there's nothing to be scared of there's something bad happening it's just a thing and, and as such yeah that, I think they're really good lives they're good tools for mm. going in and the same if, if you've got a child that is emotional in the classroom because there's nothing worse than if you are emotional of like laddering guilt and shame and embarrassment on top of that 100% and I think that's um another thing with ADHD is though that your self-esteem has been chipped away for so many years yeah Mm. so when it comes to my parenting those books and things that I read were um like security blankets and some sort of like support for myself to make me think that I could be better than I thought I was if you know what I mean and Mm. because I knew she deserved better than who I thought I was um, and I think so in terms of like owning your emotions and all that stuff, it's just harder because you think, oh, no, but this is me being an arsehole. And I, you know, I don't want mm. her to think that I'm that person. I want her to trust me and feel, you know, completely and utterly safe and all that stuff. So it's there's just a lot. There's so many layers going on. That self-esteem thing is really interesting, isn't it? Because you can be experiencing quite low self-esteem, but there's some of the traits of ADHD can make it appear like you're uber confident or you're mm. you know quite willingly taking up space in a conversation and in a room and then it's like this self-fulfilling thing do you think that if if you know you have early diagnosis and a support network that there's a way of it not damaging your self-esteem yeah I don't I don't actually know the science behind because obviously it's a neurodevelopmental condition so it's not like um environmental necessarily it's you know it's in your brain so there are some things that you just presumably can't undo but I think in terms of the self-esteem yeah for me I can see where it started to fail so when I was kind of um before I was eight basically I was at a very chill um primary school like little village school Mm -hmm. no academic pressure whatsoever and I remember now like wandering around the corridors like there was no kind of sit down and behave and I just never had those kind of teachers and Mm. I was so happy I was definitely what I think other kids would have thought of as weird but for some reason it worked and I was class clown and all that stuff and it was all okay and also my parents were in showbiz so we were all kind of thought to be a bit eccentric anyway um and so I did yeah obviously no one was like neurodivergence um and then when I went to my next school was when everything changed and I developed OCD like overnight and Mm lots of anxiety kind of related issues and eating disorders and all that kind of thing because it was a sit down from 8 30 till 4 30 it was a really academic prep school for i only lasted for like 18 months 
and it, yeah it was it was no good so I think mm. yeah looking back that in the early days you know my kind of creativity and everything was really really pushed and supported mm. and then it was only when that was sort of stamped out that it was like oh god this is you know this is painful um mm. so yeah I do think that and I think I mean it's even simple things like exercise and sport yeah, I never got into Oh, I mean, like, I hate, I hate exercise and I still haven't got the right attitude at all about it. And I spoke to this amazing um, psychologist called Dr. Jo Steer, who's written a book about women and ADHD. And she was saying that if a coach, for example, like a netball or a football coach, if they understand that they need to deliver instructions and check in with that person rather than just be like, okay, class, this is what we're doing, go. Which is for an ADHD brain is like, what? I don't know. I can't follow instructions and my body doesn't work in the way I think it's going to and I'm clumsy and all those things. Then it's about empowering that child in a slightly different Mm. way. You can completely sidestep all of those issues that have developed in people like me. I mean, Natalie, I know that Natalie Lee is like a mutual friend. She Mm. talks about how dance, like she struggles. She finds it really hard, but Mm. it helps that connection between her body and her brain. And having Mm. always felt like, her body, you know, that I think she's sort of the same as me, like clumsiness, couldn't follow instructions, all that kind of stuff. She suddenly was like, if I have someone who wants me to do well and I feel supported and I can take the time to follow and maybe yeah. to have a bit of extra time to everyone else, mm. I'm like, I'm there with everyone else. Yeah. And it feels amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think maybe, I think there's elements of self-esteem that presumably might be part of the condition. Yeah. And then I think there's others that are completely societal and... I'm really interested to know whether um, those challenges with sport and exercise again are more common in female ADHD or or whether it runs across both. But as you're saying, it's to do with the people that you get in touch with. If you, you know, I know who um, Nat's dance teacher is and if you've got someone who's willing to stand by your side Mm -hmm. and then, you know as we both know Nat once she's into something she's going to give it her all yeah but you just it's that sticking point isn't it of holding my hand saying the same instructions over and over again until I get it and then I'm golden I think you also have a window maybe with things like if I don't nail something straight away then I'm just not interested unless someone pushes me and pays attention and really sees like where I'm falling down um and I yeah I do I think it's just it's just about that and I think there's lots of children who require that who aren't neurodivergent it's just about being more supportive yeah it's just kindness yeah completely yeah yeah and and the the problem is with sport I was you know the classic case didn't do sport at school hated PE and actually as an as an adult I'm really really into fitness but it's Mm -hmm. because I didn't have anyone who helped me through the being not very good at it and who made me feel that if you weren't good at it you shouldn't do it. That's yes. been a real switch for me. You don't have to be good at your hobbies. Mm. You can do stuff because it's fun and it makes your body feel good. Yes, yeah, so But true. yeah, if you're not a sporty person, you can often fall out of that. But we all need to move. We all need to move our bodies. Yeah. And I think if you look at some of the like most famous athletes, like Simone Biles, um, Michael Phelps as a swimmer, like they are all ADHD. Because actually, if you, if you, if you hit it right and you get yeah. that interest and hyper-focus then you can, you know, the, the world's your oyster. You can be incredible. There are so many professional athletes who have ADHD. Yeah, um, because of the hyperfocus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, if I had if I had latched onto something as a child, it, you know, it, it would have been a different story probably. Although I can't see myself as a gymnast at all. But you never you know. You never know. It might, you know. Don't you always think, oh, any minute now I'm going to find it. The thing's going to happen. It's going to be like, I'm going to be amazing. But yeah. with your work, you know, you've written a book and you, you write for your job. So that involves in my mind an awful lot of focus and a lot of being you know 
you have found your thing there. Do mm. you, do you experience the hyper focus thing or? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's so because superpower. Yeah, completely. And it's I mean, like it's probably not very healthy long term, but like it gets to the point where I I haven't peed for like twelve hours or, or eaten. yeah, really? or eaten or anything. Yeah, and it's not. I'm not like at all championing not having an appetite or anything i love i love no. that love eating but um but it's just that focus is so keen and you can be incredibly quick and efficient and if you're working with the right people you know it's 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 amazing and i'm so grateful for that actually um but yeah i mean equally i've tried to write two fiction books since my last book came out so what, that's like four years ago it's not oh happening God. it's not happening <laughs> Um, and mm. I think I understand maybe a little bit more of why that is now. I just, I don't have the, the passion maybe or whatever it is mm. yet. I haven't clicked on the right idea that makes me go mm. like, oh, yes, like I can bash this out in three months. So it's having faith in yourself that that will come around and it will, you know, you've got a whole career of writing behind you so you know you can write. And it was, yeah, if it's really hard, isn't it? Again, society, and I did a podcast yesterday on burnout, we told us we must grind and grind and grind and grind, and of course we have to work, and of course we have to do what we do to feed our children, et cetera, et cetera, but there is often, if something is really, really not coming easy, there's a really good reason for it, and just taking the taking that grip off it and going, okay, breathe it out, and actually you might come back to those fiction books with the right golden thread through it, and it will happen, but... Yeah, we just stick at stuff sometimes, don't we? Yeah, I think we're just taught to, aren't we? We're taught never to quit and never give up. Actually, another thing about ADHD is that you um, are more likely to quit your job. And I've done that so many times. And and I'm so, so lucky that it's, like, served me well, being able to quit and saying, like, I just don't, I don't, I'm not getting this. I don't like it anymore. Or after two years, I still haven't perfected that thing, like... I, you know, I worked in a magazine. My, one of my first jobs in a magazine was a bit more admin-led than writing mm. at, at the beginning. And I, the writing side was fine and probably quicker than a lot of people. But the <laughs> admin side, I was a disaster. And two years in, mm. I was thinking, but I don't understand. I'm trying so hard. I've got all these strategies in place and mm. I'm still making the same mistakes. And I don't understand why. Um, I must be an idiot. And that's why I would quite often quit a job and be like, right, move on. Or I'd get bored. That happened a lot. Mm. Um, but, and I, yeah, like I say, I'm really lucky that that served me and that I always had something else to go to, um, which I think is important. And the fearlessness played into that a lot. So I would go, right, I'm going to, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to meet the editors there. And I'm just going to be like, I could write for you in, from London. And you know that I remember my husband being like, are you really just going to, yeah. Do you know any of them or are you going to like ring them beforehand or whatever? And I was just like, it'll be fine. And if it's not fine that's okay too like it's all right and I genuinely think it's just not having that filter that someone else would have but isn't that you know hopefully if if we can all find a place for this there is a person who loves the admin who likes the structure who wants to do the same thing for the next 15 years of their life because that brings them utter joy Mm. and we need the fearless people who who will go and, and leap forward and it's just like if we all stop trying to force ourselves into these boxes and be our most ourselves, I I really think this can, yeah, 100%. be happier. I think the thing, and avoid. Yeah, go on. No, I was just saying the only problem is things like um, car tax and stuff that oh. you know we all kind of need to do. That stuff is, but I just you know I have to now set reminders on my phone. I, I write notes in my diary when things like that are coming up, and you know birthdays. <laughs> I forget all the time and it's not a a lack of love or attention it's literally Mm. my brain doesn't retain a lot of information my Mm. psychiatrist said it's a bit like if you are working on a document and you shut down without saving 
it just you can't then oh. recall that information and i think really? yeah that's really common with us and um so yeah there you you know there are some things that you have to do that you have to work out a strategy i mean i definitely yeah. between you me and all the podcast listeners definitely drove around and like without an mot for a while at one point because i just um, just had no i had no sense of it no concept you know and and a lot of people would go well you're a complete dickhead that's really stupid and but it wasn't yeah i just yeah and, and now i understand that no matter how organized i am that stuff will happen and i have to be so on top of it yeah and and like force if there's one thing you have to lean into at the top of your list every day is that really arduous admin yeah knowing that you're going to have the energy to go through yeah i mean I can't tell you how much of a bone of our life type parking tickets are. Oh, I bet. Yeah, 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 completely. And it's like, again, you say that mildly, but if you've lived through it, it on either side of it, it's it, these, these ladder up to, you know, it's always the small things that end up turning into bigger things, don't they? Because it's, yeah, that's how life works. Mm. But you're right. You Yeah, you, we can't opt out of some, some boring bits of admin, but you, I guess it's just remembering for yourself that that's the bit that is hard and that's it that's it because I didn't even realize that I thought oh there's just some things that I forget and like you know it's a roller coaster Mm. (laughs) and then Rich would be like my husband would be like I mean yeah but do you think like can we put some things in place so that you don't do that again like you know a a parking ticket is so expensive like you can't sustain that so let's like let's just really try and think about how we can help you with that rather than being like oh my god you're such a dickhead and you've got no common sense do you know what I mean like that's definitely he could have said that yeah and I wonder whether, again, this is like for my own personal interest. Mm. The thing is, I I think with Ben, when he is getting better at doing things like that, I try and in a non-patronising way, like positively affirm that back to him. Because if you've had these things have become quite triggering and you send you, it goes further into this kind of um, self-esteem damage mm. for him doing a parking ticket. It's kind of a big deal, which sounds really awful, but it, I, I think it's important to acknowledge because sometimes things that are easy for other people, it, it, you have you have done something good because you've gone against everything your brain wanted you to do, which is shut it out. I think you're, I mean, it sounds like Ben is a lucky guy, like to have someone like you to be that kind of empathetic and, and caring about it. I think I think we rely really heavily actually on, on our support network of people. Um, and it's really difficult for people to live with someone who has ADHD. Like, I completely acknowledge that. Um, and I think, like, my parents would have been lucky to have known earlier that I had it because I think I was a bit of a shit sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> like, and they're going, like, what? Whoa, like, you've suddenly gone from naught to 60 kind of thing with a lot of stuff. And, like, even just, I was a massive exhibitionist in one sense as a teenager, a massive problem. Um, and then on the other hand was, like, you know, self-harming and kind of hiding away and, like, mm. you know... So there was so much to for them to understand and know that it was nothing to do with them at all, other than perhaps mm. their genetic <laughs> makeup. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I, well, you're amazing to to look after them like that and to have that patience because it is it's incredibly challenging. Yeah, it is. It is. It's difficult to know how much to stand here, but it is really sure. it is really difficult because yeah. But I think it's just trying to. Rem- I for me, his diagnosis was like in comparison to the dyslexia, I could try my very hardest to try and spell right or not miss words out in a document. And I, I can get there, but it will take me five times as long as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, just saying just do the parking tickets is saying to me, just spell that word right. I mean, I can't. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. I want to. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really not easy. But I think the work that you're doing and... 
as we begin to understand this more, it's going to become it's going to become easier because A, you don't feel so alone in it and B, we begin to understand how to help it and to understand other people that we exist with. Mm. Well, and I think also the looking at all the intersections and how that affects things, like I was very aware that, uh, again, like my whiteness protected me in so many spaces mm. um, and, and just the fact that I was sort of well-spoken and, and in some of the, mm. I, I went to mostly state school but I did have a couple of experiences of prep school where you're literally, you know, your parents are paying for you to be there. No, They're not going to so, expel you or unless you do something really bad, do you know what I mean? Um, so I think I think it's also about looking at the different communities. Like, I mean, there's been several studies that have just completely ignored um, black women um, and various other kind of um, underrepresented groups because of the sort of the idea that, and I really, I'm quoting this, this is not my words, but the sort of social chaos attached to those groups. And it's like, are you, like, what are you talking about? Like, this is just another, another hugely racist part of the healthcare system that that needs to be untangled um so i think you know obviously the incidence of adhd is across the board whatever your ethnicity you know whatever your background it doesn't discriminate again on that sort of factor um and also looking at different socioeconomic backgrounds as well like again i was i was able to be like i think i need to see a psychiatrist but lots of people Mm. there's huge stigma attached to that or it's just the costs are completely prohibitive so yeah it's yeah it is about awareness spreading and all that kind of thing but I think at the end of the day as well like the the system is is so broken and my I can say that my husband is an NHS employee and it is Mm. it's broken um so I think I'm just willing like the powers that be to kind of put through some changes and I know that there are so many experts out there that have like the right idea and the blueprint for what it could be like um but yeah so much so much work to be done yeah huge huge and you know you're so early on this journey really Mm. and and it's weird i have seen it across instagram actually loads of women of kind of our peer group get with recent diagnosis and maybe maybe that's no surprise because they've just done really really well at, at kind of being very busy and I don't, know, I don't know i'm not gonna do sweeping generalizations but it's very interesting when it becomes suddenly very visible mm. I think, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's, I don't know what it is about this time particularly, other than that we are more generally aware of, of mental health conditions as well. So we're talking more about stuff. But it is interesting that it's suddenly come... I mean, it is the last couple of years. Yeah, it's like an academic. the last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know whether... I'm trying to wonder if COVID gave us nowhere to hide with anything, really. And especially again, this is from my more of my personal experience, but if you're not going out and you are in your home and you are literally bouncing off the walls and yeah there is there's less opportunity to mask when you're with the same people all the time that's true well I think on the one hand for lots of people it it threw open their vulnerabilities and and the kind of realities what was Mm. going on and then for people like me I was like oh I feel really good at the moment because there were no challenges like I didn't have to get anywhere on time I didn't have to fill the car with petrol I didn't have to remember even the shopping because I wasn't really going out like and actually, it was that that allowed me to rest and understand how I needed to kind of manage my life. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, I've got so many friends who went through lockdown just, you know, going out of their minds and just the struggle every single day. Yeah. And, it, you know, whether it's like parenting or work, you know, remotely and having to self-motivate and stuff, it's there are so many challenges. So, yeah, you're, you're right that I think the pandemic has 100 um, percent opened up that awareness. And it's also given us space yeah. to speak about it as well, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, and as you say, that unique thing of 
when we went have gone back to the new normal so overused but yeah how that begins to show up because we were just Mm -hmm. just doing life weren't we you never thought that there could be a different way a different shape of life and I guess that was the transition you go back and you go hold up I really can't do this anymore I can't commute and yeah you know I need to find a way of working completely I was like making my life already smaller and smaller so I'd stopped commuting to London I'd been like I'm gonna go freelance and then it was like oh I'm not gonna work for those titles anymore I'll just keep it to these and it just got smaller and smaller and smaller um Mm. and my psychiatrist pointed out that was that was all just a way of coping with it getting worse um well you know more not worse I suppose more um profound um yeah but I also I should say as well I read Earthed by Rebecca Schiller um which started I was around her when she was writing it and it was not a book about neurodivergence but she was diagnosed midway through the writing process I mean that book it was like reading what was going on in my brain yeah but beautifully Mm. articulated so I think that was also that's a big moment I think so many people have read that and gone that's my life you know so that was such a gift to all of us I think yes it's a really beautiful book Mm. I highly recommend that I highly recommend that it's yeah and that idea of getting to the thing that you think you wanted and it not feeling like that and realizing that the thing that was off was not your externals it was trying to you know work out how to yeah, live with your neurodiverse brain, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. It's a it's a really beautiful book. Mm. Um, and in closing, a couple of things. If this is ringing any bells for people, how do you um, go through the process of getting diagnosed? So I, and I know a lot of other people have said this as well, as the first thing, it's always your GP. Um, it depends very much on your relationship with your GP as to how you broach that subject. So if you want to kind of get all of the information ahead of time so that you feel like you can really advocate for yourself, you know, list your history where you think it's crept up, you know, list the kind of symptoms and the way that you think it's affecting your everyday life um, so that you just have as much information as possible. And, you know, if you can email ahead of time, send links over and stuff so that all the information's there so that you're not going in and going, I think I have ADHD and then letting someone gaslight you into being like well I don't think that's an, you know an issue so mm. uh, and then it's a case of looking at your local trust some some trusts are you know have very short waiting times so it could be fine um and then if not then obviously your GP can refer you privately you can find someone the, the most important thing to me was that the psychiatrist had an NHS practice as well as a private practice because it seems like there's quite a lot of people now offering ADHD assessments that maybe don't have that spectrum of experience in the field um and the only way really to to kind of ensure that there's a real specialism and understanding there so that you don't get a false diagnosis is that they've seen it they've seen it all before do you know what i mean yeah and they haven't just seen the middle class white woman who has like cash to splash um i think that's really important but but yeah i mean join the communities online if you're a black uh, woman or non-binary person then adhd babes is amazing and um, there's lots of writers like rebecca sharing their experience and i think it's just you know, self-diagnosis is very tricky because we don't want to have people out there who who think they have ADHD and actually something else is going on, like a bipolar mm. disorder or something. However, you know, if it's depending on the way that it's affecting your life, self-diagnosis is still valid. If you are noticing those challenges and you can get enough from the community of in terms of um, support and coping mechanisms and information you know that's your journey yeah um I think it's just about the way that we then um seek treatment and stuff is is obviously different mm-hmm. so yeah I would 100% go to your GP first and try and follow that route and see see so, yeah because it is one of those things if if yeah once you start reading stuff it will either tick a load of boxes quite quickly you know I, I 
can't speak for everyone, but I think it wouldn't be a case there'd be one of two things that uh, that relate. You're like, oh, wow, this has just described my whole existence in a way that I didn't even piece. I think for me with ADHD, it was a piecing together of what might otherwise seem quite disparate things yeah. into one place. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's not just that you had anxiety as a kid. It's that you don't like queuing. And no yeah, one likes queuing, like, but like that Who you have, that? yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. that you, you kind of have, I think also there's there's lots of traits that are, again, like 21st century woman womanhood, yes. it's, it's very difficult to, to, to sort of extrapolate that. But um, on the other hand, it's the, it's the frequency and the intensity that you experience those traits and how they affect the way that you live. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the more information that's out there, the more GPs and, and all healthcare professionals yeah. will be equipped to deal with it. Um, but as I say, in terms of self-diagnosis, it's just that you don't want to miss something else because, you know, there's lots yeah. of similarities with um, autism, with bipolar um, and lots of other kind of personality disorders. So it's, it's important to see somebody at some yeah. stage. Yeah. That's great advice. Two <laughs> two more questions. Mm. Um, where can people find you? And is there anything particularly you want to shout about? Um, well, I'm at Grace Timothy Writer on Instagram, or is it my ADHD on Instagram? Um, the podcast will be launching in March and will be across all of your podcast providers. Um, no, I think that's that's me at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, that podcast isn't far off. Then it's really it's really soon. Have you enjoyed doing that? Oh, I've loved it because. It's. I mean, I don't want to say it's like therapy because that's a bit of a disservice to, <laughs> to psychiatrists everywhere. But no. the conversations, oh my gosh, so so helpful, so interesting, and um, and because I do struggle <laughs> with books and things like that, it just it's that medium that really really suits. I think the way that we process information. Um, so yeah, it's been amazing. It's been a complete gift. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, how can this be work? Because this is really great. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think it's podcasting is an amazing thing to do. But as you say, it's a big impact on your brain, actually. I always have to go and have a massive walk after doing podcasts because my brain is so overwhelmed by trying to take it a lot of stuff in we don't really have like intense one-on-one conversations very much in day-to-day life do we no that's so true and I think yeah it's the frankness and also you know people have cried and people have you know really struggled with whatever it was we're talking about so I think on both sides there's a real responsibility of like well my responsibility to make sure that person's all right at the end of it as well and you know that we do both go off and have a walk actually um yeah but yes but today is very much back to watching the Simpsons and (laughs) making sandwiches going to get blown away and my last question in in the theme of the honesty of the podcast if you could have an honest conversation with one person who would it be and what would you say um at this point in my processing of everything that's going on I would really like to talk to some of the boys from my past not the lovely ones there were lots of really lovely ones I was very lucky but some of the less lovely ones who you know, took advantage and weren't very nice. And and I think looking at my ADHD, I allowed so much to happen and I ignored so many red flags and I would like to just talk to them because I'm sure they're all very nice people by now as well, but maybe not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like that, that my only regrets are that I let some of those people take advantage of what was just a, a vulnerability that I wasn't really aware of. Um, yeah, that's who I'd like to go and have an honest chat with. Well, would you get them all in a room? There's too many, Clemmy. <laughs> Okay. Wow, well, in a in a hall, stadium. In a stadium. No, they're not really. I'm joking. There aren't really that many. But yeah, God, I don't know. I'd somewhere where I could maintain a healthy distance. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, there you go. That's um great answer. Yeah, and also you. Yeah, God, that's a whole different thing, isn't it? Because 
they don't know what they're who they are probably and oh, what they're 100%. showing up with yeah and this and is all teenagers how- you know this is like I, I got yeah. married when I was 26 so everybody it was sort of pre-20 I'd say um although do you know what I'd also really like to talk to some of my employees from way back when to explain what happened these people who put what? faith in me and thought like oh she sailed through the interview process and she's you know she can talk a good game and then we're like why can't she do xyz but I've also learned to completely let go of that because I've got to where I'm, yeah. I didn't always want to be steered in the direction that it was taking me. However, I'm really happy with where I am. There you go. So it's, it, it, yeah. Boom. There you go. That, what a way to end. We'll go out there. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Clemmy. Oh, wow. That conversation with Grace has really, really been educational. I have to say, I'm only just beginning to learn about ADHD but hadn't really given much thought to ADHD in women and also about the bigger picture of neurodiversity and how the condition can have um, impact into into your mental health and therefore about your overall experience of life. I feel really optimistic that these conversations are being had and that we are trying to get better understanding and that people will have the opportunity to show up in the world in a way that works for the way their mind works rather than having to put an undue amount of effort into appearing normal when, as we know, there is no such thing as normal. And I feel like that's a very trite bit of language that we often say, but the older I get, the more I realise what a laughable concept that is. So that's it. That's another episode of But Why Done. Thank you so much for listening. I'm very, very grateful to have you here. I am now off to actually do a bit of deep breathing. Um, I love doing this for my job, but it's also an awful lot for my brain to process, especially when I'm talking about something like this, which has quite a lot of personal implications. So I'm going to go and, yeah, give myself a bit of time to try and be a bit more grounded and then cracking on with the rest of their day so thank you so much for being here wishing you a lovely rest of your day and look forward to catching up with you next week okay bye